Penn State football loses 20-18. to 18. You already knew that. It's the BWI Live Monday show. It was, I've described it as impotent, listless, bad. Later today on the BWI Daily Edition, we're going to get into how Penn State can't win ugly. But today we're going to break down the game in every facet with the crew here from Blue White Illustrated. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Above me is uh, Nate Bauer and Dave Eckert, our analysts on the show today. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. And uh, Nate, I want to start with you. First off, welcome. Give us your initial thoughts about the game on Saturday. Give us your best nutshelling you can do. Don't don't start with me. I don't want to. <laughs> no one wants to go first. I had to find I had to find a way to do an intro. <laughs> I had to set all Fine. of that garbage up. <laughs> all right. Okay. Now nah, look. Um, I, I I keep saying this, and it is reminiscent to me of past lives of Penn State football, which is simply to say that if you can't score points. You're not going to win the game. And so I I just, it's, it's such an elementary, basic foundational, uh, you know, tenant of the game. But I, I, you know, one of the big stories in the aftermath, I felt like from a comments point of view was, you know, how, how the defense got gutted, how Penn State's defense just could not stop the run and right. Like, and all of that was true. Right. Uh, And Illinois had the ball for so much of the game that that did feel like a a major element. But look, you have to score points. You cannot you cannot have an offense whose average drives go for what? Five plays and traverse 15 yards. Um, It just it was a, a complete offensive uh uh, abdication of responsibility. They just, they weren't able to do anything that they needed to do. And you know, that's, that's what happens. Um, if you can't, if you get to 10 points in regulation with your offense and, um, your defense has held the other team to, to 10 points, that's on the offense period. Yeah, it's hard to argue with the fact that if you don't score 10 points against, so it's an Illinois defense that isn't bad, but it's not an elite unit. I think we can all agree on that, that it's not like Illinois came into this game with some fearsome reputation as having hyper-talented players playing in a great scheme. So, Dave, what are your thoughts about how this offense and how this defense performed, and, and what is your major takeaway from the game on Saturday? Yeah, my I, I guess my overall thought is Penn State turned Illinois. Illinois, again, not Ohio State, not Michigan, Illinois, over three times. They did not turn the ball over themselves, and they lost the game. Um, that's ridiculous. I, it's the fourth time in James Franklin's tenure that Penn State has lost a game in which it won the turnover battle. The other three all came against Ohio State and Michigan. Um, so this is just one of the worst performances uh, that Penn State has had under James Franklin. What lofty comparisons Illinois gets to have today on the BWI Live Monday show. Uh, that is not good. That is that is opposite good, I believe, is the way I can phrase that best of their performance uh, on uh, Saturday. Nate, what, what, what would you like to add? I, I, just, I just have to interject something here because I, I, I think that it... Um, 
Look, I understand the problems that Illinois has this season, okay? And I don't cover Illinois. Um, I know that a lot of the feedback that Illinois side of things, the media side of things that they provided in the week leading up was how much of a train wreck that program is. Um, But look, (laughs) they want to play too. And their offensive line and defensive line had been challenged early in the week. Like, I don't know. Brett Bielema has had success through his career. It just, it feels to me as though we are framing this game as though Penn State just lost to uh, a a middle school team. (laughs) And I'm not in any way suggesting that it's not a bad loss for Penn State, but Illinois is, they Chase Brown's pretty good. Like we came into the game talking about Chase Brown being pretty good and being able to run the ball. And they did that. Yeah. They did that. And then defensively executed the, like, it's not like they were spectacular defensively, but they did what they needed to do, which was stop the run because between Sean Clifford and the rain and the conditions, Penn state was never going to pass the ball effectively. So that's that's just kind of that's kind of what you get. But like, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's I feel like so much of the way that this conversation is being framed is that of this like underhanded. Oh, Illinois is is horrible. But, it, you know, for the most part, Illinois has not been that bad. I, I don't know. That's, <laughs> yeah. I think, but but you're phrasing it that bad. This was, a, again, a team we understand coming into this situation, uh, what Penn State was going through with the injuries coming out of the Iowa game to critical players at critical positions, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, Penn State fans don't want to hear any of that. It was a 2-5 and five team. Uh, they threw the ball for 38 yards and won the game. I don't know how to phrase it any other way than that. Penn State, a top five or a top 10 power five program, lost to a team that threw for 38 yards. And the week before, they lost to a team that threw for 195 yards. And I understand that running the football is a part of football, but it is these are one-sided teams that Penn State has lost to the last two weeks because of the situation that they got into with the way they're constructed and the way... Uh, the injuries have played out. Now, we've got the, the phone lines are burning with uh, questions from the audience that we got to get to. Uh, and I think we're going to start by knocking a couple of these out because we, we've, got, we've got a backlog of them so far. David asked a question, and again, it goes back to construction, I think, here about how this team is built. Eight years, no dominant offensive line. We didn't execute is not an eight-year excuse. They aren't good enough to execute. It's not Phil Troutwine's fault, according to David, because of what he did at BC. What is the next step for the Penn State offensive line? Dave, what are your thoughts on the situation up front for Penn State as a running unit? Yeah. Um, what's the, what's yeah, the problem? What's the holdup? I, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put that out there right now. Uh, again, it, this is an offensive line that, on paper, should be able to compete with an Illinois defensive line, um, you know, throughout 60 minutes and, and create some running running lanes that are better than what we saw on Saturday. I I don't know why that's not happening. We saw them try to adjust a little bit. I don't really think that worked. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess to, to me, it indicates that the, the personnel probably is not 
as good as we we thought it was preseason. We thought this was a an offensive line that could at least, you know, not be a detriment to Penn State. We weren't sure if it was going to be this this big tool in their tool belt. Um, but clearly it is a detriment to Penn State. It's not working. It didn't work on Saturday. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't have an explanation. I'm not sure that Penn State really does either. Uh, Nate, what is what is your thought about the situation? I, I think it's complex. Um, I, I don't think recruiting has necessarily been out of this world on the offensive line. I mean, I, like start there. Yeah, is the right like, uh, and this is in no way a knock on these guys, but you know, Mike Miranda is your center. He's a three star who had a couple of offers from Ohio. Like this was not a highly recruited kid. And and I understand that he has years in the system now um, and things have changed a little bit. Juice Scruggs almost died a few years ago in with a debilitating back injury yeah. uh, that, that he is still recovering from. And the indictment is not necessarily on Juice Scruggs in that instance. It's that Penn State hasn't, they don't have anybody better than that. That's right. Like that's, that is, that is the constant conversation is people always are searching for answers as to why somebody is playing or why the person behind them isn't playing. And the answer is always right in front of you, right? Like, uh, Hey, hate to bring this up. Salim worth warmly being on a jazzy right now, messed up what Penn State intended to do on its offensive line. And that's not even calling Salim Worthy or Salim Wormley the answer. But I'm just saying he was probably going to start at left guard this season. And so all of all of these individual things that are very easy to explain away on their own become problematic when you put them all together. Yeah, or the fact so, that C.J. Thorpe, who was one of the more highly recre- recruited guards, is no longer playing football. Like, not not only is he not in this particular locker room, he is no longer playing football. I think he's in, like, some president's exchange program in Dubai where he's doing, like, world outreach. So that and then the 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 uh, graduation of Will Fries and Michael Mennett, who were, I think, good players in their own rights, but in no means were they elite players. You see what the lack of veteran experience is, especially on that right side of the offensive line. You got, again, you mentioned Juice Scruggs. He looked great last year. In limited snaps, but it's limited snaps. And something I'm going to get into later today on the Daily Edition is is Caden Wallace. I have been saying this for a while, but I'm convinced now he is not a tackle. But to your point of best player available for the position, he's he's the longest, most athletic, most powerful guy that they can play there. But it's just that right now it's not it's not working. And to David's point, the problem is I think it's going to be patience. Because Penn State has, and, and you know, I've done a, a bunch of T. Frank's film room on the Penn State prospects that are coming up for the offensive line. They have more length, power, strength, aggressive, aggressiveness, pure aggression than the guys I think we've seen so far. But they won't be on the field for at least two years. So that is, uh, like, there is no solve to the problem this year, I don't think. Unless they do something drastic and move Caden Wallace or or keep, I did say, 
uh, and this is in my film review from uh, this week. Noah Kane in the fourth quarter when they moved Juice Scruggs and Mike Miranda averaged five yards carry. Is that correlation? I don't really know. But I do know that they were better then than they were before. So we'll have to see if that continues going into the next week. Here's another question. We're going to get to this now. We're going to talk about uh, the Penn State quarterback situation. According to Ryan, Sean never gave Penn State a chance to win. Why does the program not trust their backup QBs and give them a chance to play? And I think this is a fair this is a fair question. And Dave, I want to go to you because we're going to end, and I know Nate and I are going to have a long conversation about this. Why does Penn State not trust their backup quarterbacks going all the way back to Tommy Stevens? Um, I'm, I'm not sure about, about going that far back, but I know that this year they've made it pretty obvious that they don't trust their backup quarterbacks. You know, in, in January they were saying, hey, look, we want another quarterback. We don't feel like we have the experience or the depth uh, behind Sean Clifford that we need. And surprise, you know, the, the, the Taquan Robeson comes in against Iowa and he doesn't play very well. So I, I, I guess uh, in, in the short term, why don't they trust him? Because he didn't play very well against Iowa. He was overwhelmed. You saw the the snap count issues. Or it, it's it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't good. So I, I, I think Penn State was always going to, to go with Sean Clifford if Sean Clifford could go. And I think Nate, Nate kind of had this on the docket to bring up a little bit, but I, I think Sean may have sustained uh, a, a hit or two that physically limited, limited him beyond what he may have felt going into the game in this game. Um, so he started the game. All right. He was, he was all right. Um, but yeah, I, I guess my, my overall view there is Penn state has never really trusted the two backup quarterbacks that it has. And, and, you know, Taquan Roberson did not give them any reason to feel any added trust um, based on what he did against Iowa. So if you have Sean Clifford potentially available to gut it out against Illinois, I think that's the the move that you have to make. We're taking your questions and they are piling up after Penn State loses to Illinois. So we're, we're going to get through a couple of these, but I do want to talk about this uh, and, and sit on this particular conversation for a little bit. Uh, and thanks, everybody, Stephen uh, and, of course, David and Ken, who got questions. We're going to be getting those in a second. And, of course, our friend Night Raven is back. Um, but, Nate, Sean Clifford was not healthy coming into the game. And seemed yep. like a, a direct impediment to what they could do offensively. How do you judge his performance and thus the performance of Mike Yersich, the offensive coordinator, accordingly, given the context of what they were working with on Saturday? How do you judge that performance? I'm I'm not a hundred percent convinced that I, I don't know if I would put it that way, that he was a direct impediment. I think that not being able to run the ball is a direct impediment to his success. But, but that's that's my point. That is that is what I'm. That's what I mean by that by that statement. I'm I'm am saying I'm saying him not being able to run the ball, but also Penn State's running backs not being able to run the ball. Penn State not having a running attack in wet weather with an injured quarterback who also physically could not run made Penn State's offense. Very predictable. So is and that is that circumstance? Is that bad situation? Like what? So the the I guess the point is, Penn State fans feel like there should have been an answer, knowing these problems were coming into the game, 
Illinois could not throw the football to save their life, so they came out with seven offensive linemen and had a right. plan of attack after a bye week. And by the way, it's not anything surprising. Uh, Minnesota did this to Penn State in 2019. Teams have gone heavy against Penn State and found success. Brett Bielema, I know Dave uh, was on the Zoom call with him after the game. That's what he said when they watched film. Penn State seemingly did not have a different plan of attack other than rep it out during the during the bye week to improve the run game. So is that a problem to you in coming into this game, that there wasn't another answer or there wasn't some sort of creative element to the running game on Saturday? I, I mean, I'm not sure... I don't know, honestly. Like, I'm not. I'm not sure that there wasn't. I mean, I think that they tried doing quick passes occasionally. Uh, something to to Jahan Dotson, where Keandre Lambert Smith let him get murdered. Yeah, two two yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like that, there were there were different things that they tried. Uh, and you brought this up. They didn't work. <laughs> they, they didn't <laughs> That's work. That's a fair point. <laughs> uh, and so, like, what? I, I'm just. I I remain in the camp of Penn State didn't have the ball really enough to to like it, it was almost like grading the first half of the Wisconsin game. Yep, where a, a couple of things go and and that's what this hinges on is a, a couple of plays not going your way can dictate that you don't have the ball like you don't have the ball enough to know whether or not it whether the broader game plan would succeed or not because you're kicking it after three plays, right? Like they just, right. they were not, they were not able to move the ball on the ground on first or second down. And by third down, it was too late. That was, that was it. That to me, that's what I saw through, through the course of the game. Uh, and they weren't, they just weren't able to move the ball. Uh, Dave, going to Mike Yersich's plan, and and the quarterback situation that they have right now because this is the situation isn't changing. Do you think this offense has the mental resilience to pull themselves together out of the last two performances with Sean Clifford being injured and go into a game knowing you're going to have to score in the high 30s, maybe even the low 40s against Ohio State in order to have a chance in this next football game? Do you think that they're capable of doing that? Um, I'm not sure that it really it hinges on their mental capabilities or not. I just, I don't, I don't think they're capable of, of competing with Ohio state when they're in this state. Um, I, I guess I'm just a little bit hesitant to dive into, you know, the, their, their heads. Cause I'm not there, right. I don't know what John Clifford's thinking. I don't know what Noah Kane's thinking. Um, but right now I'm, I'm not, I'm not convinced that they can go to Columbus and make this ugly like they did in 2019 and, and kind of hang around a little bit and, and, you know, make a game out of it. I, I don't think that this team really has that capability. So unless something clicks either with the run game or with Sean Clifford in the passing game, that makes them more able to do some of the things they were doing earlier this season. I'm it's difficult for me to see a path there. That's all. A uh, couple more questions that people have uh, have asked in the chat. I think we kind of answered this already for Ken. Um, can you evaluate? I'll, I'll ask it this way because he's saying is is Troutwine not living up to that? Can you evaluate Phil Troutwine at this point? Because I do think that there is something to say. There has not been an improvement, I'd say, from the players who are currently playing in their in their positional output. But of course, the guys and the style of guy he might recruit are not in the program yet. How do you balance that particular uh, conversation, Nate? I mean, I think, I think it's, 
I, I hate bringing this up. I, I just I don't want to do it, but I'm going to. Last year was a disaster in every respect from a developmental side of things. It They lost so much time that we're going to look at Phil Trotwine and say, okay, well, he's 18 months into the job. How are things not better for Penn State's offensive line? And my answer is that he's not 18 months into the job. It, it, that's not, that is not how things were conducted at Penn State and for the football program last season. And so, you know, when you've had as much of a developmental wash as he's had with as much and as important of a technical rebuild as he that's why they brought him in. They, right. they wanted him to run, right? Like they wanted from snap to the whistle, they wanted that movement for Penn State's offensive linemen to be different yep. than what they had done before. Yep. And you and you know this, T. Frank. Uh, so that takes time. That That is something that demands time. Yep. Mike Yersich, we talked about it last week or a couple of weeks ago about Mike Yersich laid the groundwork that getting the offensive line up to speed for a competent running game or a good running game was going to take time. All of this stuff was going to take time. Am I sitting here and saying, hey, guys, just give it another year and then it'll be okay? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But I'm, I'm simply saying that I think it's a little early to write it off as a failure. I, I'm just I'm not sure that I'm there yet. I I would agree with that wholeheartedly that this is this is something that when it comes to changing your behaviors and your habits changing your techniques I was surprised and I think this was more along the lines of uh kind of a false read of what was capable is that you had Will Fry's play way above the 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 way he had played in his career to that point last year. But it also coincided with him going inside to guard, where he clearly was more talented uh, and where he was a better fit. So those early returns, I think, last year, and again, to your point of, it was a different offense. It was a different way of running the ball. It was all different last year. And that is all a part of this process as well, because there were some early positive returns that have not really come back since then. Uh, a couple more questions, and then I want to get to some of uh, my questions for you. I'm, I'm ceding as much time to our awesome listeners as possible. Um, <laughs> this, uh, this is like an autopsy on a body that got run over by a truck while getting shot, then burned in a fireball. Uh, hard to know where to start here. And this is this is so, guys. I, I admitted this to Nate um, post game. I don't feel like I was. I don't feel like I was equipped in the post game show afterwards to really break down what happened in Penn State, Illinois. Uh, when nobody wants nobody wants to get a, a a analytical breakdown of an ass kicking, and that's really a lot of what happened on Saturday, especially for the defense, is what uh, we saw on Saturday. Um, when it comes to the Penn State receivers, we didn't talk a lot about them because there wasn't a lot to talk about. But what is your impression of how they played on Saturday, Dave? Um, it's kind of what it usually was. You know, Jahan Dotson, really good, <laughs> made an awesome catch, um, kind of bailed Sean Clifford out on that duck that he threw that had no business really being a completion and probably should have been intercepted. Um, and, you know, Keandre Lambert-Smith had a big play, but again, 
you know, Parker Washington didn't do much. Lambert Smith didn't do much outside of that uh, one play. They weren't great in the run blocking game. They never really are. Um, so it's it's mixed. It's it's Jahan Dotson and it's everybody else. That's just kind of what it seems to be every week, really. Uh, uh, Nate, what what do you think about how the receivers performed outside of Jahan Dotson? I think we can clearly set him aside as far as a guy that uh, always shows up to play. But what do you think they're getting from the other guys? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a consistency thing. And I think that's been the case all season. And it is it is more pronounced in a situation like this where that was really Penn State's only avenue to winning the game. And the conditions for that weren't right to begin with. So, you know, look, uh, did Sean Clifford have a great game? No, but there were a couple of drop balls for sure. Uh, I thought, and I think that you agree with me, the uh, defending was very aggressive. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yep. Without, Without a whole lot of interjection from the guys who are paid to interject uh, in those situations. You know, is is it an excuse? Maybe. Um, but again, I, I mean, how many plays did they run? 60? Uh, they <laughs> ran mean, 67 rushing plays, 88 plays overall. No, I mean, but oh, I'm saying Penn State. I Penn mean, State. Ha- right? Oh, like, yeah. 71. They had so, 71 plays, including overtime. Okay. In- including overtime. So there were there was a decent amount of plays there. I, I, I don't know. Like, I just... Uh, I, I just think that if I'm going to be very interested to see if there are any explosive plays out there for these guys, uh, in Columbus, because I, I'm not, I, I know the way that Ohio state likes to play that typically leads to some man coverage opportunities. And so, you know, at that point it becomes whether or not they're going to have they're going to be able to make a play and i don't know the answer to that because to me it certainly looked like they got pushed around on saturday yeah and and i think there it's fair to say so this this is the fair part they didn't call anything on saturday they didn't call anything they didn't call holding they didn't call defensive holding it took Tariq Castro Fields tackling a guy that got behind him to get a defensive pass interference in that game so they were letting him play in the rain um objectively I think it's fair to say that the refereeing so far this year has been bad and it's it's not about those particular calls it's about the process too I mean to give a touchdown and then to not go to review and then to just change your mind after giving the touchdown signal and then take a touchdown off the board is objectively bad process. There's no way that you can go through that and make those determinations in that order and not uh, not come away thinking that you didn't feel, they felt like the play was on top of you. That happened so many times over the, this season so far that it feels like the game has gotten on top of the referees and not from a physicality standpoint, not from a standpoint of, you know, players are shoving after the whistle and you're missing egregious calls. It's it's the basic process of making sure that you got the down and distance right so far. That's been a problem this year. And I think that's just a, 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 a problem with refereeing in general. This is this is not just a Big Ten thing. It's not just a Penn State thing. This is happening 
across the board. And I think for college football in general, that is a, a, a problem. A problem for Penn State when they did get open, more issues with communication. The tight ends were once again a uh, an issue in the passing game and not bringing a ton, although probably a little bit better in the run game. Dave, what was your assessment of the tight ends as a unit on Saturday? And can this change? Can this conversation progress in the future? I, I mean, I didn't think they were very good. It's It's hard to look at that you know, potentially dropped touchdown pass by Theo Johnson. I think was that in the third, second half somewhere. I forget yep. which, which quarter that was. Um, yep. Yeah, it's hard to look at that and say, great job, Penn State's tight ends. You know, um, you really maximized your opportunity. Um, but I guess if you're looking for a positive, you know, according to what PFF has them graded for, they were all right blocking, um, which usually is not the case. Um, they, they, were, they were not... Um, they did not hurt Penn State there, I guess, this week. But yeah, not enough production in the uh, in the passing game for me. Uh, yeah, it's just again mixed. But I, based on what our preseason expectations and, and hopes for this unit were, I think you have to be kind of disappointed because you know James Franklin said before the season, "Hey, we think this is one of the the best uh, the best tight end groups in the country," and it hasn't been. It hasn't been close. So. I think I think you have to be disappointed. And, and by but the way, can so, it get better? These guys aren't super experienced, so yeah, it can get better, but it has yeah. to happen fast. And it's disappointing that it hasn't happened yet. One of the wrinkles that did come in, in in the in the game plan for Penn State is they went two three tight ends and where they lined them up. So Stephen, they lined up Brenton Strange at fullback. So technically, Penn State had a fullback on Saturday. Now his lead block led to a tackle for a loss in on third down. But they had a fullback. <laughs> it was technically uh, a thing that happened. Nate, uh, can you wrap up the offense for us? Can you put a bow on this as far as what what should what should Penn State fans be hopeful about going forward? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Let me. I just I have to read this drive chart because it it's stunning oh, when you actually look at it. Okay, take out the four play 93 yard touchdown drive okay we're gonna we're gonna remove that from the pot can we get some dramatic music for this (laughs) hold on hold on let me see what we got here okay there we go you got about five seconds okay three minus seven four plays 22 yards six plays 23 yards for a field goal Four for 14 yards. Three minus two. Seven, 15. Four plays, zero yards. Six plays, 27 yards. Six plays, three yards. Eight plays, 24 yards. That's in regulation, okay? They had had no possessions exceed 27 yards gained outside of the (laughs) back-to-back touchdown Right, like the, yeah. the Dotson completion, and then the touchdown to Keandre Lambert Smith. So, so Penn can, State, can this offense find any way to function going forward? No, no. nope, it's over. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Look, yeah, Ohio, Ohio State's not going to make it any easier than yeah. Illinois. I think that the conditions, uh, the weather conditions, will matter. Um, and look, like let's be fair here. Uh, Illinois for as as well as they did 
Um, you know, they didn't have a ton of actually field spanning drives themselves. Um, you know, so like it, the, the conditions were not favorable for offensive football on Saturday, but Penn State, when it gets into situations like this, where can I becomes- ask a quick follow up question about that? Because this is something that I think is is important to talk about. Because you've mentioned it a couple times, how bad were the conditions on Saturday? Because from the from the TV view, it did not seem like it was a terribly rainy day. It seemed like it was a, a typical rainy football Saturday, but nothing that was egregious. So was it, was- it worse than it seemed on TV? It was not on the level of either of the last two. Michigan State games out at Michigan State. Okay. Not not even in the ballpark of those. Uh however, like I, I don't know. Like let's just let's just acknowledge what it is, right? I mean, it's just uh rainy football is not conducive to the way that Penn State likes to play. And that's the that's I mean, I think it's the argument that is made a lot that tends to be dismissed, but it's true. Penn State struggles to play football in the rain. They struggle to score points in the rain. I mean, it it is, you can pick out the instances where that has been true because Penn State plays finesse football. They want to have explosive plays. They want to chew up a lot of the field on one shot. And that is taken away from them in a lot of circumstances when the weather is like that. Add to it a running game that is completely dysfunctional right now and a quarterback who, uh, you know, didn't, they didn't know if he would be available due to his health. Like, yeah, that's, it's, it's, that's a potent combination. Yeah. I'll add one final thing about Sean Clifford. And this is the, this is the conversation we didn't bring up that much. We did touch on the take one Roberson conversation, but um, Sean Clifford was forced on Saturday to operate from the pocket like a true quarterback. What he has done well this year is he has, when it's easy, he's diagnosed those coverages and he's thrown the ball. And those are, it's it's an obvious pre-snap cover three. I'm going to throw the hitch. We're going to get seven yards. We might get some yards after the catch. He throws the ball on the screen accurately. They get yards after the catch in those situations. He finds the holes in the zone when it's a clear picture beforehand and was doing very well against Iowa and what they do as far as they don't disguise a whole lot but when he has to play quarterback and this is something I went I was talking about all the way back into the spring of anytime a a defense disguises what they do pre-snap and Illinois was disguising the hell out of everything they were lining up in press man coverage and bailing to cover two so like just for anyone that knows what that means like it was crazy some of the things they were doing he could not run and break down those zones underneath to get guys open. And when he did, the receivers didn't find openings. They were not good in those scramble situations. And when he scrambled, there was no threat of him running the football. So those were taken away, and he was forced to play the, the position traditionally. And we saw some of those issues that came up last year. They resurfaced again. He is not a, a confident, competent pocket passer. He drifts into his own pressure. He bails on plays early. They got pressure again this week with three down linemen. That shouldn't happen with a good uh, pass-blocking unit the Penn State has. Now, the optimism, I would say, is that Ohio State and Penn State, Penn State is built to contend with Ohio State. So maybe that matchup will be better. Dave, 
just quickly, do you agree with that? Or do you think that, as you said, even with the matchups being a little bit better, you don't see Penn State contending with Ohio State, as you said earlier? I, I, yeah, I, I don't see it. I just don't. I think I, I thought Ohio State was better while Penn State was operating on full, you know, fully. Um, they're on the road. <laughs> they're not confident. I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I'm sorry. Um, could, maybe, maybe I'm totally happy to be surprised here, but I, I, I don't see a path to victory that does not involve an implosion on the part of Ohio State that I haven't seen. Apparently, apparently Night Raven is with you, and uh, <laughs> you you are going to be subjected to the same punishment if there is a magical upset. Okay, Dave? Just to okay. let you know. Uh, so the defensive side of the ball, we spent uh, uh, the majority of the show so far, and the majority of the show overall talking about the Penn State offense because of the problems that they presented for the Penn State defense. But the Penn State defense had their own problems that we all saw. How do you, Nate, we, we, you and I have gone back and forth on this. How do you square away giving up almost 400 yards rushing, but only 10 points in regulation. How does that cognitive dissonance ring in your brain? I'm okay with it. I don't, I don't, don't want to say that, like, uh, is, it, is it ideal? Is it, is it exactly what Penn State wants to do? Obviously not. However, Penn State has had opponents now this season that have had success running the ball on them. Auburn uh, comes to mind running for a, a decent amount of yards. I don't, I don't have the number exactly in front of me. What was the yards per carry for Illinois? Five point three, including the uh, quarterback sack yardage. Adjusted so it was, oh, okay. it was probably five and a half or six between the two tailbacks. That's too much. That's too much. Like guilty. They're, they they know that. Uh, however, however, if Penn State's approach is to be somewhat willing, <clears throat> right? There's trade-offs that are made here. They are unwilling to give up the big play. That is that is a hallmark of, of this Penn State defense is they do not want to get anything past them. Uh, and so I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a 40-plus yard touchdown carry that Penn State has given up this season. They're lo- oh, any- sorry. Their longs yesterday were 27 and 28 for Brown and McCray. Yep. Okay. Uh, But but any any for touchdowns this Uh, season? No. Not that I can think of either. Okay. So that is that is one of the deals is they will let you get into the red zone. They will let you get to the 25 yard line. Uh, However, Penn State does an excellent job of clamping down in that territory in that part of the field where the field shrinks. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, look, if if you've, I just can't argue with the strategy yeah. of, hey, if if you hold teams to field goals all day or limit the the number of opportunities that they get, giving up, like, it's not like we're saying to ourselves right now, well, Illinois had a ton of chances that. They were just so inept offensively that they didn't take advantage of any of them offensively. No, Penn State's defense is pretty good in the red zone, in the fringe scoring zone. So if you if you allow 10 points to your opponent in regulation, 
you have got to win the game. Like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. So thir- 300 yards, 400 yards, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't think that it really is of paramount importance against the other issues that Penn State is experiencing right now. Do you, Dave, do you think that Penn State did enough to adjust on the defensive side of the ball up front to counter what James Franklin on the broadcast, they said that they were not prepared for the tackle over and the additional offensive linemen. And I I, I saw a photo that was Photoshopped of it. It was just 37 offensive linemen for <laughs> Illinois. It's what, it, it really looked like that. Do you think that Penn State did enough to adjust to that as the game went on? Not really. No. Um, <laughs> could they have? What Was there something I, that they could have done? Yeah, I know I'm asking no, you. I don't, I don't know. I just think, again, like, People on Twitter are asking them to like, you know, play with five linemen and, and just totally uproot their defensive uh, strategy and, and defensive base um, to to address the problems that they were experiencing. And and I just I don't know if that's a reasonable ask mid game. Um, you, you know, I think it's reasonable to ask them to have something ready and prepared for that situation should Ohio State try to do the same thing on Saturday. But but again, that's that's such a such a huge adjustment that I don't know that that's a huge that that that's a reasonable ask for me. But I, I again, I think it's telling that Brett Bielema put that in this week. You know, that's a new thing. They call it the barge package um, that they said. We want to play big against Penn State. We think that they are going to have difficulty dealing with our size, and they were right. Um, you know, and 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 look, should, does Penn State have to win that game when they concede only ten points and have three tra- turnovers on defense? Absolutely. But it's also, um, I think, a case of Illinois' offense limiting Penn State's opportunity to, to yep. do that by keeping the ball for 8 billion years. That that um, is that is my contention with with that situation is part of your job as the defense is to get the ball back to the offense. And sure, if you get down in the red zone, but if it takes 8 minutes and they they have 42 plays in the first half. That is the other half of that is in these games versus Wisconsin and uh it never really got to that level although the third quarter was lopsidedly uh, in dis- in in favor of Auburn, and in this game, if you don't get the ball back to your offense that plays inconsistently but explosively, you have fewer opportunities to chuck the ball down the field, and and, and that is a that's a big problem. The other the other thing about this to me, right, is that Art Sitkowski is awful. That is an awful college quarterback, right? <laughs> and, and and I guess to me. You have to adjust for that, right? He's he's an, he's not good. He's 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 less than competent. So I, I guess if you're going to to try not to give up the big plays most of the time, that's fine. But when you're playing the Art Sitkowskis, I think that you can adjust and and try to take away the run game a little bit and make Art Sitkowski beat you because Art Sitkowski probably isn't going to beat you. You know, I mean, he, he wasn't good with Rutgers. He hasn't been that great for Illinois this year. He certainly wasn't good Saturday. Um, so I guess that's my problem with the whole defensive thing. Generally, to me, they played well. They played more than well enough to win the game, um, right? It's it's just that there. Yeah. I think there are little things that Penn State can do to correct some of the problems that it didn't do. Um, that's just my 
I, point of view. You know, and I'll, I'll try to make this quick because a lot of this is in my film analysis at Blue White Illustrated. So if you want to get the full breakdown with the video and everything, you can see my brain thoughts about the Penn State defense. Um, it was not good. The, the defensive tackles, we got our early answer on whether those young guys are ready or not to, to replace P.J. Mustafer because up front, and this is exactly what uh, David said, is the linebackers were instantly blocked. It was, uh, it, it's, you need the linebackers on them, not in, uh, they need to be in the gap, not have guys up on them, and that's true. Whenever there was a double team or reach block, those guys struggled to maintain their gap, making it easier for the the uh, linemen to get to the second level and to get on Brandon Smith. And that is a weakness of his. Ellis Brooks does a good job of slipping blocks, getting in there, and at least making guys cut back. Brandon Smith has struggled. And this is, Nate, we've talked about this all season of, of a guy that that's not his game. Again, Penn State's built to stop the pass. Brandon Smith is a linebacker built to stop the pass. He has yet to learn how to engage and disengage from linemen. And that's a big part of it. Um, but to say that they didn't, uh, do anything different is the part I want to talk about here is that they did. They went as big as they could. This is, and, and this is going to be on the daily edition. And again, self-promotion here. Uh, these are the defensive tackles that have played so far for Penn state. They played all of them, but for Moba and Jordan Vandenberg on Saturday. So they just don't have anybody right now. And the defensive tackles behind them are either young or I think we can all agree might be misses on the recruiting trail. So without P.J. Mustafer, they don't have anybody that's big. And they play the Mead Vanover and Smith Vilbert. They're two biggest defensive ends for a majority of the game. Nick Tarburton simply didn't play well. So they played Jesse Lucchetta at linebacker. They tried to run stunt, which they hadn't previously. All these things didn't work. And I guess that's the thing is that they didn't work. Nate, again, not to give you the positive or, or not positive thing, but if you're a Penn State fan watching that, do you think that's going to be a thing that they're, that Penn State is just going to live with, or are there ways around this going forward, do you think? I think that the conversations that we were having in July and August have come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Okay. We were talking in July and August about how many questions there were for Penn State to answer on the defensive line. And completely healthy, I think that they did answer those it, it, largely favorably. However, uh, and like this is kind of a, a, a program-wide deal. People talk about, oh, it, it doesn't matter, next man up. Well, when you've lost Adisa Isaac, that counts. That That's a big deal when you've lost Adisa Isaac. It's a massive deal when P.J. Mustafer is, is not able to play. Hakeem Beeman, do you think he would help right now? For play him at defensive end run? instead of uh, give some snaps off to Arnold Ebikidi? Yes. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just I'm, I'm spitballing here, okay? But I would simply suggest that not having three out of four anticipated starters for the season on the defensive line at a in a group that was really a major question mark, even with those guys, it, yeah, that that will have an impact on on what you're able to do up front. Is there anything? Uh, I guess how do you how do you view the linebackers then, given what happened? Uh, how do you how do you view their play and how they can respond to that situation up front? 
I don't think they're good enough to overcome it. Like that's because I mean, that's kind of the trade that we're constantly talking about. Speaking is, the truth today, Nate. Well, yeah. no, look, no, you're like, right. You, you're I'm right. Just, I'm just trying to be realistic here is Penn State's defense was already like we can't move the goalposts. OK, which is what it feels like we're trying to do. Penn State's linebackers last year were bad. They were objectively bad, okay? What changed in that situation from last year to this year other than moving a couple of the pieces around, moving Jesse Lucetta to defensive end, and then, you know, saying, okay, well, at least you don't have to deal with the sudden loss of Micah Parsons. You at least had the time to adjust for that and know what you want to do defensively and at the linebacker position. But... Ellis Brooks, who who actually I think has been outstanding. Yes. Given what given what the the standard was or where the bar was for what the expectations were for him. Uh, but then Brandon Smith and Curtis Jacobs have been a mixed bag. <laughs> they, they they right, like some good, some bad, but they're not they're not such an asset as to for anyone to have said coming into the season, oh well. These guys are so good that they can make up for the deficiencies of other units on the field. And that's that's the bottom line is yeah. they're just they're just not there right now. It's not to say that they might not get there, but they're not there right now. So a lot of and and by the way, I agree with a lot of what we're talking about today. But one thing is so a lot of these questions are the questions we're all being asked by the fans. So it's important to talk about these things from that perspective. And Dave, the the, the obvious follow-up to that is Brandon Smith was a five-star recruit. Is that four star on rivals, T Frank? Careful. <laughs> oh, I'm Careful. sorry. I'm sorry. I was looking. I was looking at uh, at at uh, the 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 overall recruiting. I was looking at the composite stuff. I apologize. He was a four star recruit, uh, but a very high four star. At the very least, he was a very high four-star. Is that about, I hate saying the words coaching, or is that about the expectation of the player that maybe that was baked in that shouldn't have been baked in? I have a hard time just saying, you know, some recruiting analysts who thought this guy was, was this good and therefore he must be this good. Otherwise, it's a disappointment. Um, I just don't agree with that uh, just because there's a bunch of other stuff going on. I mean, look at the best players on Penn State's defense right now, right? You, you know, Jaquan Brisker, right? He was a Juco kid. Yep. Arnold Ebikidi came from Temple. You, you know, it, it's it's not everything. Like, does it matter? Absolutely. It's super important. But is it is it, you know, the end-all, be-all to the extent where you say, you know, this guy had X stars – is not an All-American, therefore Brent Pry did an awful job developing him. No, I, I don't. I don't subscribe to it to that degree. Yeah, because that is that is the sentiment. That is the sent. That is a, a a prevailing sentiment about the situation. And I agree with you. And by the way, I you know not that I'm somebody who's generating the star rankings, but I, I you know I we have a film room of Joey Schlaffer coming up this week about the recruiting and how he you know what he does well, what he doesn't do well. So it, it is. It is a part of the process. And, and Nate, looking at those guys uh, in the secondary. And by the way, check out the November issue of Blue White Illustrated. 
featuring Penn State's dynamic duo in the secondary, Jair Brown and Jaquan Brisker. BWI also gearing up for winter sports with an exclusive Q&A with new head coach of Penn State basketball, Micah Shrewsbury. Nate, you did that one, right? Sure did. Give us a little, just give us a nugget, give us a little preview of what you asked him and what's in the magazine. I asked him if their shooters are good enough, and he said, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get scintillating inside information like that in the interview, Michael Shrewsbury, uh, and a preview of the Nittany Lions wrestling lineup. Uh, I believe Greg Pickle did that one, so exciting information for our wrestling fans who are uh, as crazy as the craziest Penn State football fans when it comes to devotion to their sport. Learn more at bluewhiteonline.com or by calling customer service 800-421-7751. Or, of course, uh, make sure if you want more information on anything Penn State football, subscribe to our YouTube page, youtube.com backslash video. Uh, let's talk about the secondary. Brett Bielema's system on Saturday was built to force Tariq Castro-Fields, Jair Brown, Jaquan Brisker, Joey Porter Jr. to make tackles. Did they hold up their end of the bargain, and how do you square all of that? We'll start with uh, Dave. I didn't think they were great. Um, I didn't think they were awful, but I didn't think they were amazing. I thought Joey, Joey Porter Jr. was really good. Um, I thought uh, Tariq Castro-Fields was not. And, you know, I didn't think Penn State's safeties played outstanding in this game either, right? Um, you know, you associate uh, Jaquan Brisker with being this really, really impactful guy in the run game. I don't I don't necessarily think he was um, in, in this game. He was all right. He wasn't great. Same with Jair hey, Brown. Hey, Dave, he murdered the running back in the backfield and caused a fumble that Penn State recovered in the end zone. That was count. pretty impactful. Oh, didn't count. Didn't oh, count. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot. It, te- it technically didn't happen. <laughs> sorry about that. Arbitrarily, guys. didn't count. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it, they they weren't amazing. Again, maybe we're having a different conversation if that play stands. But from what we what did stand, there were some uh, there were some problems. I mean, just if you look at again, I'm doing the PFF grade thing again, but. You know, Jire Brown, 44.4 against the run. Jaquan Brisker, 47.3. Um, not great. You know, you'd like yeah. to see better. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think I don't think they were the biggest problem, but I don't think they were amazing. When you have to defend the run 67 times, right. that's, uh, that tends you tend to have more opportunities to make mental mistakes in the run game, which is where a lot of those, you know, if, you, if you're wondering what's up with that, like that's where some of those hidden plays are. From that perspective, Nate, uh, you you seem to have a different opinion about how the secondary played on Saturday. Uh no, not. I mean, not. I mean, they only gave up thirty eight yards passing. That's yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like, uh, no, yeah, yeah, like it was, it was an terrible. Ad- every single time that uh, Illinois decided to throw the football, it was as if Penn State got new life. Like it was a breath of life. Oh, please do what we do. Please do what we do. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Please. Anytime you want. No, I, I, I don't know. Like it, it, it's just, it's just such a difficult j- game for me to judge from a technical standpoint based on how it played out. Uh, I, I don't know. It was just like Chinese water torture. 
you know, of just plotting and plotting and plotting on this road for Illinois. Like, again, I hate to keep bringing this up, but Illinois was running the ball to nowhere. They ran it to not the end zone, just to the other 30, <laughs> like it, repeatedly. And so it, it just kept going and going and going, but there was never an objective. There was never a, a goal that was met on that. And so, uh, you know, if I'm Penn State today, looking back on that game, I'm saying, yeah, no, you, you would have liked to have been better. No doubt about it. But can you live with 10 points? Yep. Yeah. Every I time. Steven, I, I don't think that this is a I don't think this is a fair question. He's he was, says, let me ask a question. Are linebackers and defensive ends not as good as Illinois? That is that is not the that's not the situation of what's going on here. Uh it's always comparative when you're when you're talking about football. And uh it just the defensive ends were not the problem for Penn State. The linebackers were put in a situation where they're playing a game they're not built to play. Uh should they be better at those things? Ultimately, I do land on the side of, yes, Brandon Smith has been getting significant coaching and time investment at that position, and he has the tools to do it. He should be better at disengaging and getting the football. He's bigger and faster and stronger, maybe that last part on, on the edge, than everybody else around him. That would be, to me, where I would say uh, Illinois's Illinois linebackers were put in better situations to make those plays because of the situation. You're going to see them get torched repeatedly. You've seen it already this year. You're going to see it again later. And Brandon Smith is going to make plays in the passing game. He he hit uh, the player on the reverse pass. He closed ground, made an awesome play that made that incomplete. That might have been a touchdown. Um, so I, I don't think that's a fair question to ask about that because they were put in a bad situation based on the way the defense and those young defensive tackles were playing. And to me, that is where I, I side with the... Dave, Tariq Castrofield shouldn't be trying to tackle a running back that hasn't been touched four yards down the field. Jaquan Brisker, as good as he is, he makes those plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. He repeatedly, at 200 pounds, should not be catching a guy and trying to tackle him when he's going at full speed because nobody touched him. Even the linebackers, even what I just said about Brandon Smith, like, I'm asking for elite production and performance out of there. Uh, is that, because that's what it's going to have to be going forward. Is that fair? Can that happen? No, and probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've um, asked that question again, but I just wanted a nice jump off point so we get to our next thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I, you know, again, on both sides of the ball, to me, Penn State has some pretty prohibitive problems now. And and it's, 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 it's based on who they're missing, and it's based on who's limited. Um, to me. Yeah, I, that's just how I look at the rest of the season. I'm, I'm, I'm not super optimistic, <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, just based on the personnel that they've lost and what they're going to have to be asked to do. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not realistic. It's not fair, but it, it's, it's what they're dealing with. Um, and I think that makes things really difficult. The expectations that were built up throughout the first half of the season seem to be coming back to bite this team as they enter the meat grinder of the schedule. So, Nate, same question as far as do, do you think, and I, I saw somebody ask, does Penn State become bowl eligible this year? And I, I think that's a little bit of a stretch. But more losses than wins down the stretch? What, what do you think about this as you're projecting what we've seen going forward? 
I don't know. I don't know, honestly. Uh, if 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 Sean Clifford's hurt and is not able to be fully healthy, I, I think Penn State is at a severe disadvantage in every game it plays from here on out. I I, I just I'm trying to be realistic here. Uh, I, I just yeah. I I do not see the path for like I mean maybe maybe they can get it to a point where they're playing in 17 to 14 style of games against a, a Maryland and a Rutgers but I, I don't think that's going to get it done uh certainly against Ohio State but even with kind of some of the changes that you've seen from Michigan and Michigan State this year like that's not going to get it done yeah that, that 17 yeah. 17 points is not going to win you at least 3 games on the schedule of the remaining what five and probably more than that probably four so until there's an avenue for for points and and i don't know how that comes right maybe maybe the defense can but like i i constantly feel this way in uh post game when i you know you're interviewing defensive players and they say like oh well we needed to be better yeah we need you know like we, we need to score points okay <laughs> the I, most rare thing the defense can do Correct. Like I yeah. get it. I, I understand what you're trying to do, and I understand the the what you have to say in that circumstance. But I think for it to be an expectation that special teams in the return game or defensive touchdowns, defense setting up points and becoming an an, an offensive defense, like it's just exceedingly rare. It just doesn't happen. And so I I will say this that I don't think is getting nearly enough conversation is uh Jordan Stout missed another field goal on Saturday and I I have to wonder where Jake Penninger is I I know that he exists I I see him on the <laughs> sidelines yeah uh, I know he's alive and so that Penn State look like uh, that that I'm not gonna say it cost you the game but a missed field goal in that situation uh, could be the difference between a win and a loss. So when you're trying just, to win ugly too, you're tr every correct. point counts. Yeah, and that's and that's and that's the deal that I see right now is Penn State is going to have to switch gears into trying to win ugly. I think that they have already done it. I think that that Illinois game was a game that they wanted to win ugly. They thought they could get through it, and they didn't. But the big question becomes: Are are how many opportunities to win ugly are left out there on the schedule? Right. I, and I'm not seeing them. Yeah. So, Dave, it, right? Uh, you look like you had something to say there. I want to make sure you have a chance. No, while I we're wrapping up two, here. Yeah. Uh, two, two, two games. Maryland record. I don't think you beat any of the other three ugly. But yeah. I, I, just on the point of Jake Pinniger, um, we did get Joe Lord this week, and he said that he was hurt in camp, um, and that kind of played a role as to why he didn't get that job out of camp. Um, he says he's healthy now, so I don't know what's going on. Um, but, uh, that, that's something that's interesting. Yeah. That's a good point. So I, I, we didn't address overtime on the show today. And I did that intentionally because I, I find that particular style to essentially be like, you know, how they say baseball is the greatest case study into statistics. And then when you get to the, the postseason, it's entirely a crap shoot overtime in college football, especially in that it felt like any sort of objective analysis, which is what I try to do. And what I think we try to do here about the game Neither team could get three yards. That's what you can take away from the overtime. Um, 
Any last thoughts as we're wrapping up? I got one thing I want to say, but I want to give both of you the floor to have any last thoughts about what we maybe didn't talk about what you want to address or something you've been thinking about going forward. Dave. Um, okay, sure. I just thought that game was like, and again, I know that Penn State fans probably don't view it this way, but it was just like hilariously gross, right? Like it was, it was disgusting. It was so bad uh, that it was almost funny, you know? Um, especially the overtime. And I know that we didn't really want to talk about it that much, but <laughs> you know, the, 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 the average two point conversion success rate in college football is estimated to be between like 40 to like 55, somewhere in there. It took them, I think 10 tries to get one, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it was not yeah. a well-played football game. Um, but yeah, I don't know where Penn state goes from here. It's tough. It's really tough. Nate, all right. You're getting some uh, props from Steven, by the way. He loves the uh, the realism you're coming in with today. I, look, you know, well, first of all, and again, no one likes to know it all, but T. Frank, cue up what I said to you on Thursday about what fans should be doing while the game was being played on Saturday. You said go to the beach and it was rainy all day in 50. So I don't think that's what Hike. you mean, but yes. Mow, mow the grass. It was so obvious that that was going to be exactly what Dave just said. Like coming into the game, it was very, very clear that this was going to be a a just absolutely abysmal type of game. So that's the first thing. I just want to put that out there. The second thing, and this is, I, I just, I, I keep seeing it so much. And, and, I, and I have to say something. Stop saying James Franklin should be fired. Just whether it's deserved or not, it's not going to happen. James Franklin will not be fired. There are, there is the, the land of make-believe and the, and the land of real. And the land of real is that Penn State would owe him about $25 million if he got fired. Uh, it's not happening. He will not be fired. In fact, I will take it a step farther and say that James Franklin is fighting to change the culture at Penn State to become a situation where maybe he would get fired Yeah, for that type of performance. But the bottom line is that that is not the culture that exists for Penn State football as a university, as an institution, or within the athletic department. So we, we, we have got to collectively move the conversation from everyone needs to get fired as soon as something goes wrong. Or even if you see this as the, the, the prolongment, that's not a word, but I made it up. I like the it. Pro <laughs> okay. Right. Prolonging of a, an issue that has existed throughout his tenure. All good. Totally fine. We can have those conversations. However, he will not be fired by Penn State, even if they lose every game for the rest of the season. Not happening. It's a non-starter. Let's move the conversation from there. So I, I want to do that. I want to move the conversation from there because you're right. And, and this is absolutely, even I think we to a degree, and, and Dave, I'm, I'm not singling you out specifically, but uh, the feeling of there's nothing this team can do going forward that is, that is going to work. And, and I think we've all expressed serious and legitimate concerns about this 
this offense and this defense as far as their ability to perform. Yet we are prisoners of the moment, and Illinois beat down Penn State. But they are a different team than Ohio State. And just like Purdue beat Iowa, I think we can all agree that Penn State, under James Franklin, has been geared to beat the teams at the top, and that means Ohio State. They match up way better with Ohio State and the way that that team wants to play than they do any other team. They're they're built to to stop the pass and to play from ahead on defense and to get explosive plays. Now, are they as talented as Ohio State? No. But the offensive line, what they do better than anything is pass block. So, uh, you know, there's some talented pass rushers for Ohio State. That's going to be a key matchup there. But if Jahan Dotson can get open and Sean Clifford can find him, there will be more opportunities for that next week. I just purely based on that. Now, they could go in there and get their head kicked in and it could be lights out. That could happen. But there is a better chance that Penn State is competitive in a game where the other team wants to play the way they do than it is the one that they just played in the rain. So I will be the optimist today. I didn't think that was going to happen, but I'll be the optimist for Penn State football fans that there is more hope that it's not as bad as it seems and that it might be an entertaining game on Saturday. Does does Sean Clifford have the opportunity to live in a hyperbaric chamber for the next I'll call Terrell Owens. Maybe he can give him the that bod pod or whatever that gives you the forces the oxygen in. So that, but that's another thing not too. His is quarterback, it? Frank. It's not, <laughs> not his quarterback. You're right. Not his quarterback. That was perfect. Good job, Dave. Uh, but that will do it. You know, maybe maybe that obviously his health is going to be the biggest part of that. But as you get farther away from the serious injury that knocked him out of the game, I do think that with with the fact that he is a super senior and he has all the time to rehab the way he did to play in this game. You know, without any setbacks, he should be able to be more healthy to go to Columbus. So that is going to be I I do want to I'm going to end there. I'm going to use my my prerogative there. That's going to be the end of the show. We've gone. uh, Man, losing to Illinois makes you go about 10 minutes longer than you meant to. Uh, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show today. This was a ton of fun. I feel like we got somewhere with Penn State football and the uh, the breakdown of Penn State and Illinois. We will be back after the game versus Ohio State. Another late one with Tom Hannafin on the BWI Live Show. The BWI Daily Edition comes to you Monday through Friday here on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. We'll talk to you then.